Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome to our 40th MotorWeek podcast. I am John Davis, and around our table in Studio C, our road test producer and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Oh, I our head writer, Shamit Choksi. Hey, John. And our ace, over-the-edge reporter, Stephen Chupnik. Hello. Coming up, our lightning round and our MotorWeek mailbag. But first, let's take a look at some of our recent tests. Toyota gives us an Avalon update. Cadillac adds a coupe to the CTS family. And a classic touring bike from Harley-Davidson. First, the Toyota Avalon, and for that, we'll turn things over to Shamit Choksi. All right, John. So the Avalon, this has always been an interesting car to me because it... it Toyota still uh, makes it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. It's, this is the car that it blurs the lines between the upper end of Toyota and the lower end of Lexus. Oh, um, uh, yeah. A lot of people wonder <laughs> why. Um, well, give the car a little bit of the car's history. What was it originally intended to do? Well, I mean, it, it came out in 95, and uh, it was there to kind of give uh, a Buick, uh, Buick buyers a run for their no, money. And big Chevys. And big Chevys, people that uh, generally catering to an older population that wants a, a comfortable, uh, high-amenity-type uh Soft ride that, uh, but they didn't want to luxury. buy a Lexus or a Cadillac, right? And, yeah. and they didn't want to put that kind of money out there. And, and the car is still that; it's in the thirty k range. So if you want a you know pseudo luxury car in the thirty thousand dollar range, this is the one for you. What we used to call, and I guess still do call, a premium automobile. Premium is a good okay. word for it. it's a well built, full size car with a lot of uh, just. Uh, decent performance, good power, uh, very comfortable ride, a lot of amenities, good comfort. Um, I would just say that it's very bland. What have they done to the new one? This is not a total makeover, but no. they did pretty much change everything you see. Right. For, well, for 2011, the front uh, front styling, rear styling have been changed. So at first glance, you know, it, it does take on a slightly different look. It's, it's refreshed is the word we want to use. Um, the interior also uh, is a interior, new IP. there's a new, new dash. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, new instrument panel, uh, more standard features. And uh, overall, the, the trims have been reduced down to two, so it's just a little simpler. It's, there's the base and the limited. Uh, they got rid of the middle trim. So, um, Is it yeah. still a soft riding kind of almost throwback? It's very floaty, very soft, um, uh, just immensely comfortable. It's interesting that... American manufacturers have moved away from this kind of floaty big car. I mean, you, you, you've you still got the Lucerne at Buick, but that's going away soon. The LaCrosse is much better controlled. And you really don't have a, 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 a an Impala or Caprice at Chevrolet that is comparable to it anymore. I think the, the Impala now and the, is basically almost thought of as a police car, I guess. So it does kind of have uh, that bit of the market kind of to itself. Brian? Asians seem to have more of a fascination with Buick than America does. And yeah, uh, this true. is like this car to me is more Buick than than Buick even. It is. It's uh it's smooth and comfortable, but that's really all you can say about it. It's uh it's a lot of cars in this in this price range that are more luxurious 
and have a lot more features. This doesn't have a lot of the high-tech goodies you can get in in the new LaCrosse or even uh, Hyundai Genesis. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a bit of a throwback car. And if you look at their ads on TV, they sort of echo that. They show these uh, uh, a DC-3 airplane flying around and flight at, you know, pilots and flight attendants. I mean, they, they in their old-style uniforms. The image is that it's sort of a his kind of a historic, if you please. Or classic. Or classic, thanks. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for, car. And very competent, I'm sure very reliable. Made in the USA, which is important for a lot of people. Um, but I'd have to say it's probably not our cup of tea. Would that be fair? Uh, it's not for me, personally. But I actually thought that uh, that the ride was actually smoother than, than the uh, lacrosse that we had. Well, I think that's true. Um, and I mean, the only thing that I had a problem with was the... The, the controls for the audio, stereo, everything. Everything is on the the steering wheel. But if you have to change anything to reach over into onto the the screen, if you have the screen package, the, mm -hmm. the video nav screen option, it's impossible to to reach over and still look at the road. Touch it's screen. Touch screen. Yeah. yeah. I think all of them have some kind of a screen. Well, anyway. Um, uh, very, you know, I I thought it wallowed a lot, and I didn't care for it. It doesn't do anything for you driving wise as far as getting you uh, excited. But on the other hand, it's a good, reliable, super comfortable sedan that's a good for long trips. It does that very well. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think that maybe the automotive world's kind of moved on beyond that. Yeah, if but, you're over sixty, and you absolutely have to have a Toyota. There you go. Uh, now to a car that's probably the exact opposite of what we were talking about, the Toyota Avalon, and that's the new Cadillac CTS Coupe. Now, this is the latest addition to the CTS lineup, which really has been an extreme success for Cadillac and done more for building their global reputation than anything else. They've already got the sedan, they've got the wagon, they've got the V-Series. Here we come with a car that basically really only shares the front end and powertrain and chassis uh, with the other CTSs from the A-pillar back. It's a very different car. It has a lower roof line, very clipped in the back, looks very, very... Um, sharp. A lot of people say, why do you put so much effort into a sport coupe when they never sell? And the answer is, it's a small market, but they bring a lot of buyers into the showroom because they're sharp-looking cars, and the new CTS is that. comes in two uh, different varieties. You've got the standard variety, which will have the uh, same 3.6-liter direct-injected twin-cam engine that's available on the uh, sedan and wagon. It'll be standard in the coupe. And then there's also the V-Series coming, which has the same um, supercharged V8 that we've become familiar with. Um, they've tightened up the suspension of the car. Uh, even though this car, I was told, was not developed uh, at the Nürburgring like the sedan was, and that was because I think during the bankruptcy proceeding at GM, they just didn't want to spend the money. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it shows any lack of development. Uh, when you compare it to a 3 Series uh, Coupe, it's probably not as light as the BMW and as tossable, but it's a very, very fine handling uh, car. And I think another um, good uh, quiver in the, uh, for uh, Cadillac. I'm pretty impressed with it. It Brian. looks awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I can't wait for the V. But as you mentioned, it is a pretty small segment. But uh, the buyers are very loyal. 3 Coupe, A5, Infiniti G, mm -hmm. um, E Coupe, Mercedes. 
so I'm not sure whether they're trying to get some of those guys to come over, or are they trying to attract people that wouldn't normally consider a coop? Or I, th- I think they're probably looking at some conquest sales, but you know, they a lot of it is just image. That's what this car is. If, if they can, they get us and and magazines and all to say that this car is of the caliber of a G37 coupe uh, from Infinity or a three series coupe from BMW. Well, that's that's pretty high praise, mm-hmm. and since it. You know, basically, it's the sedan chassis. There's not a huge amount of money wrapped up in it, but I think they've succeeded. I think it's probably the heavier of the three as far as feeling. It doesn't feel quite as lightweight and tossable as the others. But um, I happen to, I like the styling, that chiseled look that Cadillacs managed to hone into something that looks uh, uh, more acceptable than, say, some of the early art and science cars did. Um, I'm pretty impressed with the machine. Uh, I think the looks and the design from just from the exterior are going to bring people in just to look at it. I mean, and then when they drive it, I think. Yeah, there's an old saying, and it goes something like that, in order to get um, a customer who's buying, say, a, say they're a BMW fan or, for that matter, any other high-end brand, to look at an American luxury car, you've got to not just be as good, you've got to be better. I'm not sure this car is better, but it's. I would certainly say it's on par, and I think that's a major achievement. Yeah, the Buy American sentiment is kind of not at an all-time high, but certainly it's better now than it was a so, few years ago. Yeah, so they got that in their favor. Uh, on the pro front, also uh, rear seat legroom is actually better than most competitors, which you know for a coupe that is something to boast about. And you can actually yeah. have four people in that thing and go out on a double date. Yeah, it's a little short on how many golf bags in the trunk though. Yeah. That sure. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true. One thing that we often overlook in all of these European uh, sport coupes that we talk about is usually the rear seat room is really children only and Cadillac has uh, I think made an effort to make the rear seat of the CTS uh, uh, adult friendly even if not at all adult friendly but a nice effort I think the car delivered on everything the concept uh, said it would and uh, pretty impressed and it's a great drive Brian Robinson, this yes, is uh, we're going to turn this next one over to you uh, because this is where we're going to talk about the latest from Harley-Davidson. Yep, it's the uh, Road Glide Custom. It's not an all-new model, but it replaces the Road Glide. Uh, just has Custom in the name now. Sort of the Road Glide was kind of the oddball in the Harley lineup. Uh, it's got this really huge fairing that's mounted to the frame. Uh, traditionally, the, all the Harley fairings are mounted to the forks. So uh, as far as the ride, it helps to... Uh, Helps the ride's more solid. The wind doesn't uh, play with your front forks as much, and uh, it's a lot smoother. What kind of buyer is this bike for? Anybody that wants to do long, long distances in comfort and uh, wants a little bit of style to go along with it. Typical, the typical Harley buyer would, you know, is more into style than comfort. And uh, I think this bike, more than any other bikes in their lineup, try to merge the two: plenty of comfort and plenty of style. Would you? Would you go? As far as to call it a touring bike? Yeah, it's definitely in their touring lineup. But it's the most stylish and stripped down somewhat than, you know, some of the bigger touring bikes. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's very comfortable. The saddle, it kind of, it is like a saddle. It kind of locks you in. It's very comfortable, but you can't really move around a lot. So, you know, a lot of times after, you know, if you've been on for an hour or two, it helps to kind of move around, which you can't really do on this bike, but you can definitely uh, eat up some miles in it. Does, does this bike have decent uh, onboard storage? It does. Um, it's got a couple little fairings in the pocket, 
and uh, which is was new for the redesign. But they're almost impossible to get into while you're actually riding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're trying to get toll money out or something like that, they're not really practical for that. But it does have some storage. I got another Harley question Uh-oh. for you. You're a Harley fan. What would you think, what damage do you think would do be done to the brand if they stopped making bikes in Milwaukee? They're threatening to close the plant there because of uh, pay issues. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it would be, do a whole lot of damage. I mean, they did the same thing in New York. They kind of threatened to just shut down in New York. And but nobody know most people outside of the Harley Davidson buyer. Probably even them probably don't realize that York, Pennsylvania is where a lot of, of the uh, hardware is made. Well, they're all assembled in York. The only thing they do in Milwaukee, they build the engines in Milwaukee. Right. And then all the bikes are assembled in York, and I think they have a facility that does, does the Sportsters and maybe a couple of other things in Kansas City. But uh, I'm not sure it'll actually happen. Mm. I think it's just a threat. But Just like they did in yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I don't think it would hurt them too well, much anyway. The headquarters I was just, is supposed to remain there. Yeah, yeah, I was just there last week, and you would not believe you mentioned Harley and people have tears in their eyes because they really are scared that this company is going to leave. Um, I mean, everybody, it's on everybody's mind, even if you're not a, a, a motorcycle person. Right. Well, it's a tough time it's, in an economy in general, but it's been, you know, as bad as it's been in the car industry, it's been a lot worse in the motorcycle industry. Yeah. I mean, it's a recreational vehicle and people don't have a lot of money to buy new ones right now. I'd certainly hate to see them move the engine manufacturing from there. I, I think they're talking about keeping the headquarters there, but yeah. of course, once you move your manufacturing, the headquarters is easy to move. So they've that, been through uh, this before, you know. Harley yeah. has, and they seem to be, you know, more proactive than reactive. I mean, similar to Ford, right? You know, they kind of did all their rearranging before, they, you know, they didn't need any bailouts, and they're kind of doing that as well. Before they really need to do something, they're kind of looking into what they can do. Well, I wish everybody luck. I hope it turns out to be a story that benefits everybody. Okay, let's move on to our lightning round where our Motor Week uh, reporters have the opportunity to share their opinions on topics making headlines. And a lot of headlines have been made recently about the pricing of the new electric cars. Uh, GM recently announced the Volt will sell for $41,000, including freight. Um, that price struck some people as high, but there are reports that dealers are charging up to $12,000 over the list price in order to get in line. Um, there, I should point out, there is a much more attractive lease of agreement that'll be $350 a month after $2,500 down. And uh, I suspect that there may be some uh, upping of that in some dealerships. Uh, Its chief competitor, the Nissan Leaf, which is an all-electric car and doesn't have quite the range of the Volt, is uh, $32,000. Now, all these prices, uh, list prices, are without taking in tax credits. So the question is, what's your opinion? Do you think the all-electric Leaf that has about a 100-mile range will be as successful or more successful than the Chevy Volt, which has a 40-mile range on electric and a 340-mile range when the gas generator starts? Two different approaches to the electric car, both driven totally by electric motor, uh, but one with a gas generator and costing more. What's your opinion? May I? Okay. Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, John, I think you hit on something important here. There is a, a pretty significant price difference, but uh, both 
vehicles, the playing field is leveled when we talk lease. And I think a lot of people are going to be leasing these kind of vehicles. Both cars are going to be leasing for about the same price. About the same price. So right there, um, that puts that puts uh, you know everybody on the same same playing field. I think the uh, the Volt is far too practical. I mean, not far too practical, but its practicality is is much more so than than the Leafs. Uh, so there's no to me the the Leaf killing the Volt um, is not an issue at all. I think this is going to be a highly competitive market. I think these are the first two to, to show up, and it's going to get really interesting. Yeah, it's a technology we've been hearing about for years now, and lo and behold, we actually get to purchase something. And uh, I think generally people, it's a new, you know, somewhat of a new technology, and I think people might be disposed to trust the Asian designs more so than the American designs. And uh, so I'm going to give my uh, vote to the Leaf early on, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Any uh, any comment? I was actually uh, almost exactly what Brian said, but oh, I think so much. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't listen to you anyway. So, um, but uh, all right, uh, no, I, put your claws I, away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but why but, would you? Why would you spend that kind of money for? Uh, not a big car, but not a small car either. That has less. That had a has a hundred mile range maximum. Because it's new, and and, I, and, and I yet you've got another electric car. That will go by the you know three hundred plus you miles. Drive normally. I, I think people, but I think so people look mm. at the bottom line and say, "Look, I'm going to trust who's been trusted in the last five years." And unfortunately, we can't say Americans mm. haven't been we haven't been able to trust the American dealerships in the last five years, where we really have been able to trust the Asian market. And uh, you know. It's less money in mm. even if you have to buy it, it. It's less money if you have to lease it, even if it's fifty dollars. I, I think it's not actually. There's it's a different. Or, the actual lease price is the same, except I think there's a the five hundred dollars down payment. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting take because uh, both cars, as it turns out, uh, have pretty much got all the orders they can handle for the first year of production. Uh, so we probably really won't know the answer to this question about of which technology is going to be more preferred until sometime in the future when there's plenty of them to go around. So very interesting take, everyone. Very interesting indeed. Okay, let's move on now to our Motor Week uh, mailbag. And remember, if you submit a question, if you we, if we pick it to ask uh, answer on our podcast, you get a free Motor Week T-shirt. One size fits all, I understand. Hey, this is from Joel in Maryland. He said we had an incredible amount of snow of snow in our Mid Atlantic area in the past winter, and boy, he's got that right. Looking ahead, is there any value in purchasing snow tires for next winter against using all season tires year round? Is there really a difference? I feel like Brian Robinson's going to know uh, this. Uh, one. Yeah, there's definitely a huge difference. <laughs> snow tires are awesome, but having said that. It uh, depends on what kind of car you have uh, and what kind of driving you uh, plan on doing. I mean, we had a Jeep Compass in during all that snow when, uh, you know, everything was shut down. And I was driving the thing everywhere. It didn't have snow tires on them. And it's the least Jeep of any Jeep. And I uh, just had all-season tires. But, but the traction control drive. system is, was so good that uh, it did fine. But if you're planning on getting out and actually driving in snow and you don't have a car that's been traditionally good in snow definitely get some snow tires it'll make a world of difference but having said that 
here in the mid-Atlantic area, which he specifically mentions, generally, no matter how much snow we get within a day or two, the roads are drivable. So, uh, you know, if you can hang out for a day or two, then don't spend the extra money on the snow tires. Anybody else? I say just don't go out when it snows. I just stay in your house, <laughs> locked up. That's what they say don't you should do. <laughs> You've already stocked up on your bread. Right, right. Exactly, right. exactly. Milk, milk and, and toilet paper. You know. Now, Jimmy, you live, you have a long country commute I do. to work. I so do. what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 um, you know, when, when we, you guys know what I do. When, when we're anticipating snow, I usually try and get uh, the all-wheel drive vehicles out of our uh, out of our fleet. You know what I mean? I just feel and better disappear. about that. That's right. And then not come in the next day. No, come in the next day. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is a country uh, commute. It's like an hour long, and it's all back roads, and it's it's actually great driving. But in the snow, sometimes it gets dicey. Basically, if you have to be out in snow, and I mean. If you've got to go to work, say you're in the medical profession or law enforcement, snow tires are an excellent idea. If you don't have to be out uh, between traction control and all-wheel drive, which it would probably be better putting your money there, uh, either stay home or just get by with the all-season tires. So, Also, you got to remember snow tires are can be very noisy when the pavement is dry, and they wear down and, very quickly. Yeah, they do so. wear quick. and. Uh, Sometimes you can just kind of feel your car moving around on the yeah. treads a little bit. I, if I lived in the Northeast or the Midwest, I'd buy them. Okay. Does Joel get a T-shirt? He, he certainly does. Right. Does he get, get a free set of snow tires? No. Uh, <laughs> I don't get a free set of snow tires either. Sorry, Joel. Okay, that brings to a close our 40th Motor Week podcast. Special thanks to our producer, Michelle Parker, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and Brad, Brad's last name. Giordello. Giordello. I didn't want to let somebody else butcher it. Our audio engineer who's making sure you can hear us loud and strong today. Thanks very much. I'm John Davis. Please join us again for more Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.